All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Today's topic is going to be a behind-the-scenes look of the Pink Bike Academy. We've got Jason Lucas with us here. He's one that was a huge part in getting that series off the ground. And if you're not familiar, that's a reality TV show, the 10 episodes where contestants are competing to win a $25,000 cash prize and a pro, uh, pro contract. So a lot of stuff to talk about there. But before we go too much further, I'm going to introduce everybody that's here today. So we've got James Smurthwaite. Hey, James. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. If you were on that Pink Bike Academy show, which challenge do you think would have taken you out? Uh, I think probably the fitness one. I think I just would have flat out refused to do that FTP test. It just didn't look like a good time. So I'll stick yeah. stick, stick, stick with that one. <laughs> yeah, FTP testing and VO2 max stuff, that's pretty brutal, especially on a stationary bike. So yeah. How about you, Sarah? I've got Sarah Moore here. Uh, I've done a fair number of FTP tests and yeah, I would have been like Addison groaning ahead of that one. But I think the one that would have taken me out was that, uh, like orienteering challenge where they had to find the point on the hill with the map and, uh, using the Garmin and trail forks. And I feel like I probably would have been like Julia with slightly longer legs, but like traipsing all around the mountain <laughs> under the chairlift and stuff while everybody's yeah. like got the water bottle already. So yeah, I think that orienteering or, you know directional sense sense of direction is not my strong point necessarily okay. yeah cool. and then jason you got to witness a lot of this but if you were a contestant instead of a presenter on it what do you think yeah uh i'm with james on this one the fitness test would have been the end of me i think uh i probably wouldn't have even made it to the cross-country race portion of the challenge it was uh i got sweaty just watching it so <laughs> i like to think i'd win the whole thing but I'm not that cocky. <laughs> cocky. So <laughs> maybe that like the social media challenge where you have to like take selfies and stuff. I think I would have blown that. I would have messed it up somehow. I don't know. That's fine. You're professional. That's part of your job. You, you yeah. But usually have people that help me out with that. And selfies are not, I hate selfies so much that I maybe would have just refused. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll talk more about this in a bit. But for now, let's start with the news. Let you take that away, James. Sure, let's start with Santa Cruz, who issued their first ever recall in 26 years of being a brand. Uh, some of its aluminium models were apparently thermally damaged during a non-standard paint stripping operation. It's not fully clear what that means, um, but apparently there are about 300 affected components that need to be altered. But um, because it's done in a batch, uh, all, the fr all the frames from one batch need to be recalled. Um, the bikes that need to be inspected are all on site. So if you do have a 2020 aluminium bike from Santa Cruz, then check the website for the affected models. Uh, recalls, I guess, always suck for both the brand and for riders. But I mean, I guess one consolation is this one's coming at the end of the riding season, at least. Uh, do you think repainting is, is kind of a common practice? I think that kind of surprised quite a few people who read that article. Yeah, you know, honestly, I hadn't really thought about it that much, but it, it just makes sense. You know, if you're a company and you've got a bunch of frames left over that have the prior model year's paint uh, scheme on them, it, you know, stripping aluminum is usually a totally fine thing to do. It doesn't cause the damage that happened in this case. So I'd assume that customers would want the most current paint scheme on their bikes and the, you know, the frame itself doesn't change. So, yeah, I think it's probably pretty common. And unfortunately, this one just didn't go as planned. So. Do you think that's just aluminum or do you think that happens with carbon as well? I bet it happens with carbon too. I'd say a little less likely, but because you're just going to be ending up making a heavier bike. But I'm sure there's some carbon frames out there that if you scratched off the top layer, you might see last year's paint job on it. So, yeah, it, it happens. I don't think it's shady necessarily. It's just kind of, you know, like the performance of the bike isn't affected. So, but something that does happen. Well, speaking of paint, we did a big 
pink bike poll this week asking people what they think makes a bike look great. The results are in and Stealthy still seems to be the most popular. Um, there were loads of different questions, but it seems like the pink bike bike of choice would be matte black frames, no graphics, black components, black on black on black, no tan wall tires or anything like that. Are you guys like anti-colors on bikes as well? Or do you guys... Yeah. Boring. <laughs> What's your colors there? <laughs> we should definitely have some colors on them. I, I agree that like when a unicorn vomited all over the bike, like yellow with purple and black and green and all the colors doesn't look good, but I like two solid colors. Yeah. I kind of, I would like go the, black. Yeah. Black. I kind of like the murdered <laughs> out version. Yeah. Maybe with some silver in there, like. You know, yeah, people even hate it on spoke. oil slick and like everything. Oh, I'll hate an oil slick. Yeah, oil slick is really silly. <laughs> I, <love laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> it already came and went in the BMX world, and now mountain bikers are like, oh, look at this oil slick. But it's so out of fashion in BMX that we're late to the game again. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting poll. I do like purple anodized, though. I'll say that. So there's my color. There must be some, <laughs> some British blood in you. You have a black that. bike with purple anodized. eyes. You had a really <laughs> colorful optic. You know, you even had those Cane Creek uh, rainbow cranes. I know, yeah, I did. <laughs> I think Raw is the way to go, but not always the easiest to get hold of, I guess. Um, yeah. Next up, uh, we've got two new bikes from Canfield. Um, they seem to be having a bit of like a resurrection this year. Um, earlier in the year, we got the 1-2-DH bike, 290DH bike, and a Nimble 9 chrome steel hardtail. And now two new frames, there's the Lithium and the Tilt. The Lithium is an Enduro bike, and the Tilt is a trail bike. doesn't confirm this in their press release, but I think this is another one of those um, occasions where both the bikes share the same kind of aluminium front triangle, and then different linkages and shock lengths kind of make the bikes dis distinct in travel. Um, Kaz, what did you make of these? I wish they held a water bottle. <laughs> right? Like it's 2021. And I do think Canfield has a cool suspension design that everybody that rides it likes it. Um, but yeah, I just feel like if you're coming out with a, a new bike for 2021, just find a place to fit a water bottle. But it's good to see them still kicking. They had some kind of, I think the brothers kind of split up a bit and now Lance Canfield is running it. Um, so yeah, it's good. They're still around and still making things. So maybe we'll get one of these in to try at some point. Moving away from bikes and onto racing, uh, there's unfortunately been a doping case. Uh, there's only been one mountain bike doping case this year, and that's Paula Quiros, uh, 31, an Argentinian XC rider. Um, she's not super prolific on the World Cup circuit, but she finished 28th at the World Champs in Mont Saint-Anne. Uh, she's been suspended for returning a positive test for EPO. Sounds pretty messy. Uh, she claims that she took the drug unknowingly um, after her coach told her it was an injection of vitamins. He went along with that story and then he's now retracted that because he's had so much backlash from it. He's saying that was kind of a lie to protect her reputation. Um, we'll wait and see kind of what the ECI Court of Arbitration says and which side they fall of that. But um, at the moment, she's got a four-year suspension. Um, were you guys surprised to see like an EPO test in this day and age? No, not at all. I was surprised they tried to go with the accidental injection of vitamins excuse, though. <laughs> like, how old yeah. Oh, I didn't know I was getting it. It was just my normal injection. I didn't know. And then the coach, like, didn't think that that would be detrimental to his career. And then is like, oh, actually, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't take full blame and responsibility for this. Even, I don't know what, we don't know any of the story. But, yeah, um, yeah. obviously, if you're an athlete or a coach and you have any drug 
misdemeanors next to your name, that's going to be pretty bad for your career. There's always like a convoluted explanation. They're like, I think in the road world, there's been like contaminated meat they ate and yeah, all sorts like that. Yeah, so. the sharing the water bottles. But this, the fact that this was like a straight up injection, I was like, I know people do get injections for things, but it seems odd. But yeah, no, I'm not surprised though. There are plenty of drugs being used. This is super off topic, but, and maybe immoral, but how cool would it be where if there was like a league where just anything went, like you could put whatever you want in your body to make your performance the best it could be and we just got to see these like superhuman freaks like crush races or or events or trials or things like that am i off topic here maybe a little uh, bit? i think I, part of me likes that but then i start feeling bad because people would definitely die because no one knows how to stop like they would just juice themselves to a level where they would just like explode and die on the track i feel like and if right, everybody maybe, is maybe. then equal would it be more exciting than a regular race where everybody already is superhuman compared to us i just wonder how fast you could go if you just got like so jacked up on everything like like the tour de france full drug edition versus like part drug edition (laughs) 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 exactly it might make a better movie than uh than a real life scenario or a reality (laughs) show jason maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, maybe season two pink lake academy yeah Um, we'll unfortunately have to end the news on a bit of a sad note, saying goodbye to legendary World Cup mechanic Dave Garland, who passed away after a suspected heart attack while riding over the weekend. Uh, Dave wrenched for some of Britain's best riders, including Rob Warner and Danny Hart. He also set up Super Alloy Springs and Stendek, two companies that are used by some of the world's top World Cup racers. Um, our thoughts go out to Dave's family and friends and, and all those who have been affected by this tragic news. Yeah, Dave was a super nice guy, just always friendly in the pits. And like, he was just the guy you could ask him anything. And even when we're pestering him with like bike check questions or setup or all that, he's just super chill and always happy. So sad news there. All right. Well, let's move on to some reader questions before we get into the main discussion. Um, first question comes from Tom Howard 379. He says, That's the second idler pulley bike that could be trouble, but hasn't been now. How many do we need before we accept that they're fine? And this is in uh, reference to the Acta 5 P-Train that was featured in the, the recent field test. Um, I think it's a valid question, but I have had a decent amount of trouble with either pulleys on bikes. Even uh, I had a little issue with the one on the Norco Shore. That's a so 2021 bike with either pulley. So they do cause a little more, uh, they're just another moving part that you need to deal with compared to bikes without them. So it's worth mentioning, I think, if we review that type of bike that they can cause issues sometimes as far as getting... Yeah, James. What what kind of issues are you like expecting? Just that. Yeah, sometimes like, they can be noisy just in general because your chain is going over a whole other pulley wheel. They can get clogged up sometimes. Um, I've even had like a chain jump off the top pulley wheel, and if that happens, it can just be this whole kind of um, just a pain to get it all back on and aligned. So I'd say it's these days things work pretty well, but it's not um, not something we would ignore as far as like it's a potential. It, it has more potential to be an issue than a bike without one. So that's why it gets mentioned. All right, the next question comes from Ikubica. He says, since Kona Process X is a second bike which is officially too long, I suspect that bike media and industry, also known as the evil conspiracy, will focus on something else. What do you think this will be? I mean, it needs to be one number, reaches out, weight is a cliche, what next? So I guess that's in reference to, I reviewed that Process X a little bit ago and I thought it was a bit too long for my height. Um, And now he thinks that since all of a sudden we're gonna stop focusing on reach and not on weight and something else. I disagree with him. I mean, I think 
we're going to be talking about geometry forever because it's a huge part of bike design. Um, and I think we will, you know, we might reach a limit for some bikes, but other things are going to start changing. So. Or if it's like head tube angle or it's too low. I mean, I guess it'll be number of bottles of it. it can carry. Yeah. yeah. We'll have plenty of things to talk about. We're yeah, not going to talk about one thing per review, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, one number. Easy. This is what we're going to focus on. The head tube angle is too slack on this bike. <laughs> yeah. You know, and th- yeah, to be fair, the geometry has been the huge discussion for the last few years because it's changed so much. But yeah, once that changes, we'll find something else to, to talk about. Don't worry. People have been reviewing bikes for like 40 years now and they've always found things to say. So we're clever. We can do it. 32 inch wheels next, isn't it? That's... Yeah, we got the big wheels coming. We can talk about those. <laughs> I think I just heard like pitchforks clanging and <laughs> yeah. torches being lit. <laughs> I know. It. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the questions and brings us into our main discussion. We're going to be talking about the Pink Bike Academy. We introduced him before, but Jason Lucas is here. He's our Pink Bike's head videographer. So he was a huge part in the um, in getting this thing going and, and out into the world. So. So we might as well start with the the basics, Jason. How'd the idea for the uh, to do a reality TV show come up? Um, yeah, great question. I I think back to it, I don't actually quite remember fully how it came up. It was one of those ideas that kind of is like a little one, and then it snowballs to a bigger one. And someone says, "Hey, let's also do that," and "Hey, let's also do this." So I I don't quite remember the origins, but a few people here at the at the office when we were all together in the office. Um, came to me with the idea of doing some sort of something new something big and um a lot of us here whether we would like to admit it or not are fans of reality tv and so kind of combining that reality tv aspect with mountain biking was something a lot of people were interested in and so from these inklings of ideas it kind of just put them together and took certain aspects of shows that we like to watch and pushed them together with mountain biking and, and made a thing. <laughs> and how big of a team ended up, like how many people were involved behind the scenes, would you say? Do you know that number? Yeah, I mean, here at Pink Bike, we had, I, I think a lot of the team was, a lot of the editorial team was a part of it, right? Um, whether it was, you know, planning logistics or uh, reaching out to contestants or, you know, organizing the articles and the release schedule. Um, so maybe... I want to ballpark around 10 people from pink bike. And then the production team was also pretty, pretty large around 20 to 30 at, at any given point in time. So. Yeah. I was impressed with like how many people it actually touched at pink bike, like pretty much like sales, marketing, editorial, video team, like everybody had a part in it, which I think was pretty cool. Cause it's like, we all wanted to see it succeed. It's awesome, right? Like in a in a year where we're all pretty separated, we got to at least come together on this project, and I don't know, it gives you guys, everyone a good excuse to talk to each other still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's impressive. I mean, I was you know, I don't want to be this whole thing won't all be just patting everyone on the back, but I thought it was cool that you guys were able to make like half hour long episodes. Like it felt like a real TV show. Which, not that I had doubts, but you know, you could watch that. You could see that on Netflix or Amazon or something. And be like, oh, that that belongs here. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, but might as well back up a little bit. How did you pick contestants for it? How did you find the people, especially in this year, was definitely challenging due to COVID restrictions? Yeah, so back in March, I want to say, we did like an open casting call where we created a submission form and anyone in the world, any as long as you're 19 or older, could apply. And uh, we got a lot of applications. And I think um, we didn't know what to expect. And 
at first it was pretty slow to come in we were like okay this is this is okay like this is manageable and then obviously uh us mountain bikers were pretty good at procrastinating so on the final two days of the deadline it was like bam here's like another thousand applications and we were like whoa okay now it's now it's coming in like a waterfall <laughs> and um yeah there was a a lot a lot of people to sift through yeah how did you even like start to go through all of those applications like there's like all everybody had a video that they submitted as well too so the video was required so anyone you know you weed out the people who didn't fill out the application form properly or didn't include a video that that gets rid of whatever 25 percent, and then you watch everyone's video so you lock yourself in a cave and you <laughs> turn off the lights and just punch through these videos and you look for people who have good stories good personalities obviously riding skills a huge thing um, we looked at social media following. We looked at roots and rain results. Um, but it wasn't just about picking the fastest or the best. We also looked for, you know, people who had really good stories or came from a background where you can tell that mountain biking is just the passion that, like, kept them going in, in an otherwise maybe not so good situation. And so we want to tell those stories as well. Um, and obviously we, we had a great list of candidates lined up, ready to go, uh, to reach out to, and then, uh, some, some little pandemic hit. Yeah. And that brings us, I guess, the challenges of the pandemic. So were there people that would have normally been on the top of the list that couldn't come and you had to kind of go to like your second tier of selections or. Um, I, I don't want to call anyone like that. We did cast obviously like second tier or anything. They're all in the running. Um, but we also had a ton of international people, that we wanted to bring on and we wanted to have all these different flavors of personalities, backgrounds, diversities, like all that together in a house in big white. And obviously with the restrictions uh, this year, we couldn't do that. So that was definitely a bummer. And there was times when we were like, are we even going to make this thing? You know, is this even possible? And we went back and forth multiple times. We had to rejig how we were going to do everything basically. Um, but luckily we worked with, um, boombox group on this and they were super helpful in, in making sure we had the proper safety precautions. Cause we don't want to do this thing unless we're doing it properly and making sure everyone's safe and has a good time obviously, but also doesn't get sick or it has even the fear of getting sick. Like we want to, we want to do it properly. How, um, how difficult was it to convince a bike brand to come on board? Because I don't think that, you know, the normal way a bike brand would, would pick a rider is, is very different to this, right? So for them to place a trust, for Orbea to place a trust in the process that you're going to find a rider that's kind of suitable for their team, was that was that quite difficult to do? Um, I don't want to take any credit. That's uh, all up to our sales team who did, who did that part of the thing. Um, but I will say that we found a super good partner in Orbea in that they did give us that trust of like, hey, you guys... Um, we, we have the trust in you to go out and find us uh, a rider. And, you know, I think all of us here, we know what, what makes a, a good mountain biker and a professional mountain biker. It's a lot of similar things that make people who um, are good to hire for a job. You know, it is a job. And uh, so spotting those things, we had a good team behind the scenes on, on who we thought would be good. And now we're up to, I think, was it episode seven or episode eight comes out this week? Is that how far in we are? Yeah, episode so. eight this week. Yeah. So how's the reception been? Have you been surprised by the love for it or the hate for it or kind of the, the reactions in general? 
bit of a mixed bag <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, I'm like surprised by, uh, the mixture of love and hate. It's, it's a polarizing thing, right? Like it's completely different. It hasn't happened in mountain biking really. And so, um, with this series, I think one of, one of our goals was to approach the non-endemic audience and the people who don't necessarily mountain bike, but they obviously consume entertainment and we wanted to bring those people in and then also appeasing the the core mountain bikers, the people who make up a lot of the readership on pink bike, right? Like you, you can't please everyone. And, um, as much as we try, obviously, uh, it's, it's tough. So, um, I'm not surprised that there are so many differing comments and, and honestly, like I appreciate the comments that are constructive, constructive criticism. Maybe they're like, Oh, you could have done it this way or, Oh, maybe this person should have done this or this event event or challenge should have happened like this. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fair. Like that's a good comment. I appreciate that. That's like super constructive. But when it's just like super negative, and like, especially the personal stuff, I'm like, ah, it's just a video on the internet. If you, if you don't want to watch it, just don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. And, and that's a funny thing, too, because you see a lot of people saying that. But then you look at how many people are actually watching it. Like, it's definitely a guilty pleasure for a ton of people because those numbers aren't all people watching it to hate it. Like, it's it's done pretty well. So I don't know. And like, I'd consider myself a, a core mountain biker. You know, I can be as salty as the next person, but I've enjoyed watching it. It's I don't even think it's a guilty pleasure. It's like it's so well done. You're like, that's entertaining. And. I'd rather be watching mountain biking in some form than like an actual reality TV show. So. I want to know what what uh, Jason got his inspiration from. What other reality TV shows you like watching? <laughs> oh yeah, what's your guilty reality show? Oh, for sure. I don't know how much these inspired Pink Bike Academy, but I've I've watched um, Big Brother a lot of years. Uh, I actually applied to be on Big Brother multiple times in Canada here, um, but also I I like the crappy ones that like The Bachelorette, The Bachelor. Um, what's that one on Netflix though? Too hot to handle. That one was just the worst, but you you <laughs> like sucked into it. And it, and it's because they have these like interesting polarizing people that you're like, oh, I hate this person, but like, I can't stop watching. It's like a car accident. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of, I don't really watch reality TV show. I might have to, maybe that's my winter project is watch trashy TV so I can catch up. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Sure work Brian on your character. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'll help you understand all the all the nuances of Pink Bike Academy season two even more. So. It's true, yeah. yeah. Do some research. <laughs> uh, I guess going back into the actual concept, how did you come up with the challenges? Was that all you? I mean, the challenges range from anything from making this kind of social media posts to that cross country race to all kinds of different things. How that how that happen? Yeah, good question. Um, it was a team effort for sure. Like it, it definitely wasn't all me. It was a bunch of minds getting together and sarah you were there on the in that room one rainy afternoon in vancouver we just sat and like brainstormed and threw a bunch of ideas at the wall see what stuck it it's uh it's funny because you come up with all these amazing ideas and then you're like oh my god we gotta do them and like how do we do this and it's like with episode six you know we had um this part of the challenge where the uh, the contestants had to drive cars at some point and go to the next part of the challenge and it came time to do that and we're like oh wait how do we get these cars so a little behind the scenes i drove down to Kelowna with uh two other production team members the night before rented three toyota camrys like on the spot 
and drove them back up to Big White, shot it the next day, dropped the cars back off right after we finished filming. And it's just, you know, like you put all these ideas on paper and then when you do them in real life, it just is a whole different ball game. Well, and that went like I was thinking about it, like you guys had to like watch back all that footage, like before you made announcements about like which contestant was going home, like three cars, like I don't know how long the drive was, but it seemed like that one would have been pretty hard to to do the judging for. That one was a long, long day. Um, and and once again, going back to you put the idea on paper and our production schedule, the filming schedule was super aggressive. We basically filmed the whole thing in just over two weeks. And so a lot of those episodes were shot in one day, which includes, you know, letting the contestants know what happened, filming the actual challenge, the judges deliberation, all the interviews, and then finally the elimination ceremony. So packing all that into like eight to 10 hours is, uh, it's aggressive. <laughs> so um, when you, you add rental cars and all these other logistics into the mix, it, it, uh, it makes for a fairly spicy time. And what about the interviews? Were those done like before the contestants knew who was going home and after as well? Cause sometimes I'm trying to, I'm watching the episodes and I'm trying to figure out like when, when was this interview done exactly? Yeah. Good question. Um, honestly, I, I wasn't like a part of the interview process that was kind of done away from a lot of the things we were doing. So, uh, it was throughout the day though. So, you know, after big events or after the challenge or even before the challenge and then yeah, before and after elimination ceremonies and stuff like that. Yeah. They did a great job with those interviews and then even like cutting down those interviews. I can't imagine like how long that would take the, the team. A lot of footage. Let's see what else we have. We should, I guess one question that's come up, people want to know if the contestants got to keep their bikes, everybody that showed up there. That is such a popular question. Hey, it's so funny. Um, yeah. I'm going to bum a lot of people out. No, they did not get to keep their bikes. They did get to keep all of the Fox kit and the Garmin watches and GoPros and stuff like that. Yeah. It must've been hard to like, especially the people that made it towards the end, they've been on that bike for like a week or two and then they, then they don't get it. Oh, well, you gotta, you gotta win. Yeah. And then I guess speaking of people getting cut and going home, did the contestants just stick around and kind of, were they around for the whole time just to heckle since they're already kind of in that bubble? And, and so, yeah, I guess once they're cut, what happens? They just go straight home or do they hang out? They hung out. They got the, the pleasure of enjoying the big white bike park for however long until we were after shooting basically. Um, but a little tidbit of information, they will be making a return in, future episodes that have yet to come out um what was the best moment that happened kind of during filming that we don't get to see like maybe there was like a blooper or something that for whatever reason can't be shown was there anything like that um a lot (laughs) uh as you guys would have guessed with like a reality tv show the cameras are rolling pretty frequently uh so a lot of um mess ups by me i i don't nail those lines every time and a lot of um points in the judges deliberation where we just kind of start talking about random stuff and we're not even on topic anymore and then we have a producer coming and be like hey let's actually talk about what's going on here and we're like oh yeah totally um one moment i could think of was the was episode five where we woke up super early um the the production crew actually woke up at like 3 a.m that day to wake the contestants up at 5 a.m 
<laughs> Sarah, I see you exploding. <laughs> Pained expression. Yeah, that's not even like morning yet, 3 a.m. No, no, it was it was super like we're in this weird fog and we're like, but you're trying to perform, right? Like you're trying to give it your all in terms of performance and being in the right place at the right time. And I think I had maybe like six cups of coffee by 8 a.m. And uh, we were filming the the intro to the episode. So I was kind of, I was like, welcome to the next episode of Pink Bike Academy. This time, blah, blah, blah. Except I was talking like, welcome to Pink Bike Academy. This time we go on a scavenger hunt and we do this. And we woke up at 3 a.m. And now we're going like super fast, crazy. <laughs> and uh, we had to do like 20 takes because they're like, you got to slow down. Like you, you have to slow your voice down. I was like, I don't think I can. <laughs> I think I've had too much coffee. <laughs> so oh, it's, it's like I said, it's hard work, but there it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. What about those voiceovers or like just the presenting that you did? Did you have to like script it and then say it for the morning and then do your evening script? And like you must have had very long days. Yeah. Yeah. We did because um, a lot of it is left up to what happens right like we it's as much as those parts are scripted like the whole show is unscripted we don't plan who goes home or who wins the contest or whatever like it's up to the contestants right so um the moment someone wins the the challenge and whoever loses and whoever goes home i'm then tasked with creating the script for that all to make sense to the audience and to deliver that information in a concise way because maybe it's like okay, you have to do this in 15 seconds. So like write all the words so that they fit into 15 seconds. Um, a lot of those voiceovers were recorded right after shooting in a production minivan because it's a nice soundproof area. And it was a nice hot box of me and the sound guy just <laughs> running through lines. Um, what was it like doing those um, elimination ceremonies? It must have been kind of pretty difficult. Super difficult, um, especially as time went on and we kind of all started growing together as this family. I mean, you're stuck in, you know, well, you're not stuck, but you know, you're in big white for uh, some of us were there for two and a half weeks. And the only people you talk to is, is the fellow contestants because we're kind of in this bubble. We don't really interact with anyone outside of the production. So, you know, you, you, you develop like bonds with these people and you want to see i want to see like all these riders do well i think all of them could be professional mountain bikers in some capacity whether that's racing or kind of like more like a media take on the on the whole thing and to basically say sorry you're not good enough today is, is a tough thing to do but i think all of the eliminations were were fair and just and you know we had a really awesome judging panel behind the whole thing and they took everything into account. They were harsh some days and, and then they would say, okay, this is who we chose. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go be the, the messenger of the bad news, but um, it is a contest, right? So I really like how they all line up and then a couple of them stand forward, a couple stand back. Did you like orchestrate that before? Like whoever you're, you eliminate, everybody else just has to like turn and walk off the stage. It, it is, it is orchestrated. Um, and we would also do, test runs before the contestants even showed up so that you know on the day when you're film film talk on the day um when you're shooting the actual elimination ceremony i don't want to bobble because it's very serious it's a very tense and emotional moment and so if i'm screwing up like that totally cuts the tension and totally makes the contestants think well what's this guy doing like, come on doesn't he know what he's <laughs> what he's got to say and i'm like come on i've been working for 18 hours but um uh, 
yeah, it uh, it is all pretty planned out in terms of who's going to stand where and all that sort of thing. And it's it's done so that so that we can film it in the best way possible to to show what's going to happen. I guess the question is, season two. He already already started on season two. Are you can do it again, or is this a one and done type of thing? I feel like we started season two during season one. <laughs> we were just like, ah, oh, next year, like let's do this, and next year let's do that. Like it, it's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, my goals are just to make it bigger and better. And and you know, I want to up the level of challenges. And I would love, love, love. Hopefully, the world goes back to semi-normal but to get the you know international people involved and make it a big thing and we'll see i I mean there's uh there's a lot of like what ifs for next year i think but the we'll definitely be doing season two so stay tuned have everybody there for two months this time (laughs) some people were like it's not long enough two weeks so you guys gonna go there for two months next year (laughs) (laughs) i mean hey two months in a bike park I'm cool with that. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. There'll be no other videos on Pink Bike YouTube channel for two months. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for chiming in, Jason. It's been awesome to uh, to see the whole kind of how it's all rolling out, and uh, I'm excited to see who wins. I don't even know. I, they haven't told me yet, so I'm actually still in the dark. Oh, good. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank well, you guys for for asking me some questions. I feel like. Um, we have this like unique opportunity to share some insider knowledge with with our audience that, you know, the bachelors and the top chefs don't get. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And people listening, if you have questions for Jason uh, regarding this, just drop them in the comments and get them to answer some of those and maybe we'll answer some next week too. So uh, yeah. And that brings us moving on to comment gold. This art, this comment is from the super wheel article. It's this kind of crazy wheel that supposedly generates energy with springs and, looks very homemade and strange and i feel like it's popped up a few places before but one of those things it's, it's always kind of entertaining but the top comment comes from i love riding he says it's also worth noting that the royal academy of sciences in paris stopped accepting proposals concerning perpetual motion in 1775 and i would suggest it's just about time for pink bike to stop accepting them as well so, pretty cheeky and funny though because uh yeah that it's not possible to have a wheel that just keeps going all by itself but this person seems to think they've invented one so. And next comment comes from Danger Wank. Uh, it's a very special <laughs> username. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Be careful out there, Danger. Uh, and he says that EDS stands for everyday shiv. And that's in regards to the muck off uh, kind of, they say like your um, tire plug toolkit that goes into your, goes in your handlebars, I think. Yeah. Why is there a knife in that? Uh, well, if you had to cut the top of the, of the plug off, like to keep it flush with your tire, possibly. Yeah. So, yeah, your everyday shiv, just in case. You know, you're riding through a sketchy neighborhood and you need to protect yourself. So. Uh, yeah, and the final one, I just want to give a shout-out to a user. His name is Edwin K. He sent us basically the nicest uh, thank you email I've ever gotten. He just kind of, he was really appreciative of everything we're doing at Pink Bike, and it's nice to know that, you know, we're kind of helping people out. He's going through a tough time. I think his wife has cancer, and, um, yeah, so I just wanted to kind of, Say thanks for that. We really appreciate hearing people uh, enjoying what we're doing. Yeah, that was a really nice email. I was like, I don't even know how to how to respond to this. Like, yeah, <laughs> makes 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 it feel like we're doing something um, very worthwhile. So, thank you, Edwin. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Well, that's a wrap on this week's podcast. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to give us a rating, ideally a five star rating. We like those ones. 
And if you have any comments or questions, add those in, and we'll try to get to those next week. So, yeah, talk to everybody next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. <laughs>